0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen to the year in the Bible podcast. I'm your host Jay Smith with me today are Jimmy Doyle and Travis Bruno. We are in the gospel of Mark chapter 14 and so just want to remind you before we get going here is we'd love for you to follow us along as we read through the Gospels in 2022. You can do that and engage in our online forum at read-scripture.com. You can find the reading list. You can find daily readings. You can find all our podcasts and more as you go to read-scripture.com. All right. Chapter 14. We have a lot of content, uh, which is maybe somehow still an understatement. So we are... Uh, roughly the day slash night before Jesus is crucified. And so it could be that Monday, Thursday, the, the anointing of Jesus's feet is a part of this story. You've got his trial, you've got his uh, handing over to, um, and then you also have Peter denying Jesus. There's just a lot to cover. And so here's what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to give you as uh, a good of content as we can, but we cannot cover all of it uh, as part of this conversation. So there will be parts that we skip, and it's not because it has less value or is less important, but there are just things that we want to emphasize as far as our helping uh, bring more color to your reading uh, and and other things that just won't be able to fit it as far as time. So with that in mind, uh, we are going to start at the beginning of chapter 14. It is the story of the woman anointing Jesus. And so we'll start here in 14.1 to give a little context on the timeline. Two days before the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the chief priests and the experts in the law were trying to find a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him, for they said not during the feast so there won't be a riot among the people. Now, while Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leopard, let's call him a leopard, A leper uh, reclining at the table. A woman came with an alabaster jar of costly aromatic oil from pure nard. After breaking breaking open the jar, she poured it on his head. But some who were present indignantly said to one another, why this waste of expensive ointment? It could have been sold for more than 300 silver coins and the money given to the poor. So they spoke angrily to her, but Jesus said, leave her alone. Why are you bothering her? She has done a good service for me for you will always have the poor with you and you can do with them whatever you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She anointed my body beforehand for my burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Travis, I want to start with you. Uh Maybe just like a quick, as you kind of read this for the first time, you hear this for the first time. Uh, or even in those moments where you got the opportunity to really study it in a little more in depth, like give me two or three things that you think are substantial from this passage.
1: Uh, I mean, obviously Jesus reaction stands out. And one of the ways that it stands out to me is that it's like one of the first times that he is, I don't know how to say it, not encouraging people to minister to the poor in a sense. And so trying to figure out why um, this thing that she has done is so beautiful when like sort of in the back of my mind, I'm asking, isn't it a good thing to like help the poor? Um, and the only thing that I kind of have come up with. And so I, I sort of also ask the question to you guys, but this thing that she's doing like is, is a greater thing in the sense, because it's part of his journey to the cross. and like the ultimate purpose of his life on earth and um, redeeming all things. And so in that sense, like it's a greater thing from that perspective. Uh, but that's just a, something that is hard for me, I think, to understand. Like I can see the moment and because I know what's happening and what I, what is coming next, like it makes sense that, you know, this is a, a sad time and it's a kind of a mournful thing before Jesus is crucified. So that part of it makes sense from that perspective, but that's not really known to everybody in this moment. And so just trying to kind of figure out where Jesus is coming from. And, um, and it also seems like, uh, Jesus is being more sad in a way. I don't know, like as he gets closer and closer, like his reactions and Not that he's like joyful and happy the rest of the gospel before this, but those are just all of the wonderings in my mind all over the place. Yeah, I want
0: to, I think that I love some of that insight. And uh, because there are moments where Jesus has said, like, you lack one thing, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, you know? How difficult is it for those who have a lot to enter the kingdom of heaven, you know? So I think that there is some of that that's valid, and, and so there is at least a part of it, I think, where you could see why the disciples would try to um, live out this ethic that maybe Jesus has been teaching them about a care for the poor. Uh, I think one of the things, and then I'll I'll give Jimmy kind of some space to talk about both of those things, a few things that stood out to me as I read this passage, and and I think it just maybe shares a little bit of what you're talking about as well, Travis, is, or at least gives a little bit more context to it. So. Um, there's two, there's pretty substantial radical things that take place here, uh, in this story. Number one is that a woman interrupting a collection of men gathering is just like a incredibly unacceptable thing. Uh, so the fact that Jesus not only okays it, but then celebrates is, is a a pretty upside down way of seeing things compared to the culture at the time. And the second thing, and it's just one of those things that we just, we kind of just glance by it, I think, and I'll just confess that when I initially read this, I also glanced by it again, is their, their kind of home base is Simon, the leper's house, right? So this unclean, like you wouldn't, you wouldn't stay at a leper's house uh, for many, many reasons. And so I think this is also one of those ways where Jesus gets to kind of radically redefine the kingdom and those who are in those who are favored those who have a prominent position in the kingdom of god being a leper is this place that he continues to goes back to a woman interrupts this collection of guys talking and doing their thing and and instead of rebuking her he celebrates her it's just one more reminder uh of how upside down the kingdom of god is and so i know it's a lot to kind of get started in this story uh but Jimmy, kind of speaking back to what Travis talked about a little bit, especially in the sense of uh, why the flip on this. And I think he is on something as far as the burial, this preparation heading towards the cross and, and just seeing that as a specific act of worship in the moment. Uh, and then maybe in addition to that, um, I, I don't know. I, I haven't actually thought about Jesus's emotional mood at this point because I saved so much of that for the Gethsemane story. Uh, and so maybe th- take a few of those and any other insights we're missing and 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 kind of speak on that.
2: You know, we talked about this on the last podcast, like the human element of Jesus. It's easy for us to kind of imagine a stoic Jesus for whatever reason. Our culture kind of does that. Uh, we lean into kind of Jesus being removed from his humanity, uh, I think. But when we read the Gospel of Mark, when we read the Gospel of John, seeing those base stories of this kind of passion week, this suffering week, we do see Jesus dealing with the fact that he's going to die. Like this is, this is two days before Passover. This is at least two and a half days before his crucifixion. He has known, and he's been saying, Hey, I'm going to die. I'm going to die since Mark chapter eight. And, um, yeah, so he does kind of turn, he changes, you know, like the, uh, it seems like like all the all the emphasis on giving to the poor, and now it seems like his disciples are kind of shocked that she's pouring this nard. This uh, and this would be like a perfume, but it would be an oil based perfume. Like our perfume is uh, alcohol based, so you you spritz it on and it kind of evaporates and it leaves a scent. But this is uh, it'd be common like for a wealthy person maybe to pour oil on an honored guest's head and it would be like scented. So. You can kind of picture Jesus is smelling really good right now with some kind of oil-based perfume that she has put on him. And it's expensive. It's uh, basically a year's worth uh, of wages for a regular person. That's how much this is worth. And he lets it take place because I think he realizes she's honoring him and he's about to experience something really rough. And she's acting out of love. What's interesting, I think it's fascinating that Jesus says, hey, wherever my story is told, the story of this woman needs to be told. What she has done for me needs to be told. And 2,000 years later, we don't even get the woman's name in this case, but her story is being told 2,000 years later um, that Jesus wanted to make sure that this, was, this moment was not forgotten. And he tells his disciples that. He does quote from scripture here when he says you will always have the poor with you. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 15 which is in Deuteronomy, the chapter on the year of the Jubilee, the remittance of debts. And God says early in that chapter, he basically says, hey, I've given you enough in Israel that if you will follow my commands, you will never have a poor person in your land. And then a paragraph uh, and a half later, God says, because the poor will always be with you, don't don't be tight-fisted, like make sure you're giving to those who have need. So Jesus is quoting that. Jesus has been talking about forgiveness and release of sins and release of debts. And so we know that that is part of Jesus' message. So when his disciples are like, hey, don't spend, don't pour all this perfume on him that could have been given to the poor, that's because Jesus has been teaching them these values. And even in his response, he's reminding them of that Deuteronomy 15 thing. But it's kind of, it is kind of flipped, right? Hey, you're always going to have the poor, so there's always going to be a chance. Don't forget to take care of them. I think is what he's saying. You're always going to have that chance. Don't forget to do that. But in this instance, she's anointing me for my burial. And it's it's a great thing. and It's going to be remembered.
0: Yeah, that's helpful. Incredibly helpful. And and I think the other thing is kind of a final reflection, as I forgot to mention this just a minute ago, is the fact that she breaks the jar. Uh, somebody pointed this out in one of the things I was reading today in preparation and The difference to, and it may just be a a play on words, but instead of opening the jar, right, is like, this is not going to be returned to the bottle. This is not going to be something that is like, it's like an extravagant expression, you know, of anointing is one of the ways that it was kind of framed.
2: Yeah, I, yes, I mean, it is extravagant because she's she's using the whole, whole Mm -hmm. jar. So these jars were made where they had long, narrow openings. So you can kind of picture, you don't want all the oil perfume running out, so it would normally kind of drip out. Uh, But if you really wanted to pour it out, you'd snap off the top of that opening and make it wider, which is probably what she did. You know, she didn't like crush the jar above his head but broke off the top of it and poured it on her you know so yeah
0: yeah. it would be it would be a complicated way of anointing like hey hey, good good intentions maybe just a little (laughs) aggressive just a mild concussion no big deal (laughs) yeah Uh, let's transition here down to verse 12 Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus into their hands. When they heard this, they were delighted and promised to give him money. So Judas began looking for an opportunity to betray him. Jimmy, here's your Judas chance.
2: Yeah, we talked about this before the podcast. This is one of my uh, little pet peeves, struggles with translation choices. So uh, the word that gets translated betray here by a lot of English translations uh, does not mean in and of itself betray. It's the Greek word paradidomai and it it means like handing over or literally giving over. Uh, it, while it is true that in the Gospel of Mark, it's used almost always in a negative connotation, so Jesus is handed over to the chief priests and scribes. John the Baptist is handed over uh, when he is arrested. Uh, when Jesus is handing having the conversation with. Uh, the scribes and Pharisees, about their traditions. It's the handing over of traditions. and So that's kind of even a negative context in that place where they've handed down the traditions of men as if they are the laws of God. Uh, But the word itself, again, it just doesn't mean that. So uh, Paul uses the same word when he's talking to the Corinthians in first Corinthians. And he says, you know, I handed on to you what I also what was also handed on to me. It's the same word paradidomi. So, yes, Judas betrays Jesus, but uh, that's not what the word means in and of itself.
0: How would you translate it? Hand it over. (laughs) Like it didn't feel like would, it's that far of a I jump, mean, right?
2: He, he, well, here's the thing. Like, I, I would let the audience determine whether this is a betrayal or not. Uh, I will say that later in the New Testament, the same word is used for God handing over Jesus. So I don't think God betrayed Jesus. That'll so be for why, our that's our yeah, that'll be yeah. our
0: side pod. We'll do the yeah, side, pod this is a side pod. Yeah,
2: did yeah. God hand over Jesus? Did did God betray Jesus? Yeah. Next
0: episode. So. Yeah, yeah. Verse 12, now on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples said to him, where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and told them, go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house, the teacher says, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. So the disciples left, went into the city and found things just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. Then when it was evening, he came to the house with the 12 while they were eating at the table, eating or while they're at the table, eating. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. One of you eating with me will betray me, will hand me over. Mm -hmm. They were distressed. And one by one said to him, surely not. I, he said to them, it is one of the 12, one who dips his hand with me into the bowl for the son of man will go as it is written about him but woe to that man by whom the son of man is handed over it would be better for him if he had never been born let's let's put a little stopping point here uh jimmy i want you to can you give us like a reader's digest version of the passover and then i really want you to make sure that that we at least talk about why why the passover is so significant in the context of of holy week specifically uh thursday friday into, you know, the crucifixion and death.
2: For the listeners, Jay always says the Reader's Digest version, so that he because he knows I'm going to give way too much information. No, so, man, I want um, I want all the, of it. In the, uh, you know, in the Book of Exodus, so you don't have an Israel without a Passover. So this would be like the Fourth of July for Americans. This is the event that led to the liberation of the Israelite people of the twelve tribes from their bondage of slavery uh, to Egypt. The passing over commemorates the fact that for those that had the blood of the lamb on their doorposts, the angel of death passed over those houses and did not take the lives of the firstborn. And houses that did not have that blood of the lamb, the lives of the firstborn were taken. So the Israelites' lives were saved. The Egyptians' lives were not. And because of that, the Egyptians kicked the Israelites, uh, at least temporarily they do, um, out of Egypt. And So this is the beginning of the liberation of the sons of Israel, the tribes of Israel from Egyptian bondage. And God commands in the Torah that they commemorate this every year in the middle of the month uh, of Nisan of when they came out of Egypt. And uh, that's one thing. Passover would be like a one meal thing that happens on an evening where they would sacrifice a lamb. They would uh, roast a lamb and then eat it. And then There is a longer festival that takes place after that, that is the festival of unleavened bread, which is also commemorating the Passover because they didn't have time when they were finally kicked out of Egypt. They didn't have time to wait for bread to rise that was leavened. And so they made unleavened bread when they were out in the wilderness fleeing from uh, the Egyptians. And so for seven days, uh, beginning with Passover, Jews would celebrate the feast of unleavened bread. That develops into a kind of combined holiday, festival holiday and tradition. Originally, they were supposed to eat the lamb in their homes. But once there's a place located where there are sacrifices being made uh, in Jerusalem, in this case with the temple, the idea was is that they would bring a lamb, sacrifice it in the sanctuary, take that. And by the time you get to Jesus, they were required for those that came to the temple to eat that within the city walls of Jerusalem. So Jesus and his disciples have been staying in Bethany on the east side of the Mount of Olives, where they've been camping on the Mount of Olives. Uh, but for this fast Passover meal, they have to have a place to eat inside the city walls. And so they would sacrifice the, the lamb that day, and they would bring the lamb back, and then they would have a, a huge meal to commemorate uh, the liberation from bondage. Uh, later on, a Passover order gets developed, and it was probably being developed and had developed some at this time. It's called a Passover Seder, Seder means order. And so if you have Jewish friends and they invite you to Passover, you're going to do a Passover Seder. It's a very long kind of organized process, and they drink a number of uh, cups of wine, and they eat certain types of food. But just for the purpose of understanding this, they're eating lamb, they're drinking wine, and they're talking about how God has rescued them. And they're quoting scripture, and they're probably singing uh, the Hillel uh, hymns, um, Psalm 113 through one. 18, which Mark has been quoting a lot in the story of Jesus. Uh, and it would be uh, an evening of both reflection and, and joy, right? It's 4th it's of July for them. It's liberation time for them. And Jesus kind of takes that meal and refocuses it on himself, a new type of liberation from a different kind of bondage, uh, a new covenant that is being formed.
0: So, Travis, I'm going to move a little bit here into 22. So just Jimmy kind of alluded to it. So I want to say or at least read the uh, what we would call like the Lord's Supper, the institution, the Eucharist, the, you know, whatever you want to call it. But uh, and then I want to get kind of your thoughts to expand upon that or anything you may add or, or questions you might have. So this is from verse 22. While they were eating, he took bread and after giving thanks, he broke it, gave it to them and said, take it. This is my body. And after taking the cup and giving thanks, he gave it to them and they all drank from it. He said to them, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant that has poured out for many. I tell you the truth. I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After seeing hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, you all will, you will all fall away. And I'll just stop there and then I'll continue on. Well, you will all fall away for it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So Travis, kind of hearing this conversation about Passover, looking at the Lord's Supper, uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper here by Jesus, like what what are your reflections? What are the things that you pull from this or what are the things you feel like are important to, to acknowledge?
1: I mean, I, I was having kind of the same questions that really Jimmy ended up answering and Um, I might just ask again to get squeeze a little bit more out of him. Um, but the, this part of the Lord's supper and when Jesus is doing these things that does, uh, as you were talking about the Seder part of it, like there's sort of this order and a little bit of a procedure in a sense of what they drink and when they drink and how they do it. And so like, is he doing that same thing or is he changing it? How is he changing that or adding to it? Um, you know, how does that overlay what Passover normally that those things happened?
2: Yeah, man, that's a great question Uh, because we don't know exactly what the Passover Seder looked like during this period. It's hard to know for sure. You know, modern Seder. And when I say modern, it's it's really ancient. It is developed not long after the time of Jesus As a part of the, the sort of order or liturgy of that. They would drink anywhere from four to five cups of wine, but, What Jesus does here doesn't really, I mean, uh, I guess you could find there's debate on this. Is this a Passover meal or not? And the reason that people can ask that question, scholars can ask that question, is because it's so different. Like, you know, there is not anything in there about this is the blood of the covenant or that type of thing. Uh, There is breaking of bread, but breaking of bread happens. That's kind of the way you refer to eating together. You're breaking bread together. In the traditional Passover Seder, you have matzah bread, which is crisp like crackers, and you break it. And so, I mean, there is that element. You could say, well, Jesus is breaking the bread. He's taking that broken bread picture and making it about himself. There are elements of the Passover sacrifice. Paul refers to Jesus as being our Passover sacrifice. None of his bones shall be broken, which is the same thing that happens with the Passover meal. Like the lamb, you don't break any of the bones of the lamb. So there are definitely tie-ins to what Jesus is about to experience, but as far as what Jesus is doing in the meal here in the Gospel of Mark, it it, it is a Passover meal, but the Passover Seder elements are not necessarily in it. Other than that there's wine and bread.
1: And you, you mentioned you mentioned hymns earlier, and like that, and it's not you know it's just one word and one part of it, but that that was something else that stood out, and I wonder. What hymns do we know? Probably, kind of what one of the hymns that they were singing after this uh, when they went out to the Mount of Olives?
2: If they're doing the traditional uh, hymns that would be sung from this, it would be Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And Psalm 118, we've already quoted a lot starting in Mark chapter 11. Mark has been referring to those passages. What's interesting is Jesus quotes from uh, Mark quotes from Zechariah a lot as well. Jesus riding into the city on a donkey is from Zechariah. There's other passages that are from Zechariah that we talked about in other podcasts, and here Jesus quotes from Zechariah. Uh, but those passages from Zechariah are actually having to do with a different holiday. They have to do with a holiday called uh, booths or tabernacles. But uh, Jesus is drawing from Mark is drawing from those, and Jesus is drawing from those. Regarding this festival here. So, but if you want to know what the hymns were, we don't really know what they were singing, but if they're singing the traditional songs uh, associated with Passover, yeah, those would be the Psalms 113 through 118.
0: Jimmy, just as a, I think this would be a good spot to stop, but I was just wondering if you'd want to sing one of those to us. Yeah. yeah, As we conclude our podcast no no we'll let you, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> kind of this is in the background yeah in yeah. the background so as we had yeah. mentioned is this is uh chapter 14 is a a lot going on and so we're actually going to break this up into two episodes and so this concludes episode one and so we are hopeful that you will follow us for episode two and uh, as part of that make sure you go to read-scripture.com to make sure you're reading alongside of us also please engage in the forum it's just such a helpful way to stay connected to what God is teaching us through the Gospels. And so thanks
2: again for listening. Thanks, Travis and Jimmy. And we'll be back with episode two of chapter 14 here in just a bit.